San Francisco is definitely a unique city. I mean, there's no question about it. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's world-renowned. It's got unique neighborhoods, unique flavors, unique kinds of uh, ethnic groups, and it's known for a variety of other things, too. Individualism is a highly prized aspect of the San Francisco experience. People like to have their own unique ways of doing things, and it creates a, a whole different uh, challenge from a, a ministry perspective. One of the ways we think about our church is like we're a missionary church. I mean, we try to use avenues that everybody can kind of connect with, whether it's music or whether it's the way we frame the gospel. Obviously, we're not trying to change the integrity of the, of the scriptures. We're very committed to the teachings of the Lord and, and what has been a tried and true approach for generations. At the same time, trying to create access points. We're trying to connect in a way that creates an openness of dialogue. Show me what I'm looking for. happens God does an amazing thing. God touches them and God begins to break into the, the hard place. It's just what he does. He's the God of grace. The history of our church began when my grandfather and actually just a, fam a few families made a decision that they felt led to, to start a church. They started meeting in a house Eventually, they, they grew enough, moved into a, a small building on Dubos Street. That was, I think, 1954. And then in 1963, they made a huge leap of faith and came to this building here on Dearborn and 17th in the Mission. And if I were to think about what kind of characterized them, number one, it was just an absolute deep, sincere love for Jesus that was at the center of everything they did, a true, sincere desire to express their love and devotion to Christ. And secondly, they understood commitment really understood commitment, laboring, investing into something that ultimately was going to bless generations down the line. 1988, 89 is when I came in and, and started to serve as pastor. The church as Cornerstone over the last couple of decades has continued to grow and emerge. And, you know, my wife and I have had now, you know, a number of years of being able to have the privilege of ministering here. And we've been able to watch our children grow up. and follow Christ. And uh, it's just been a great experience, a great adventure together. One of the things that most moves me is when I think about prodigals coming home. I can't tell you how many times we've heard stories about people who said, you know, they've run away to San Francisco, they ran away from bad experiences, they ran away from the church. And the last place they were thinking that they were going to come back truly to a relationship with the Lord was here. They were running to a far country, and San Francisco was that far country, and yet they somehow found their way here. Somebody told them. They had an invitation. They came to church, and lo and behold, God got a hold of them, and God touched them. I say to you, come home, come home, because I've been waiting There were people who were praying for them back home, moms, dads, grandparents, brothers, sisters, people who loved them deeply and wanted to see them come back to the Lord, and lo and behold, of all places, the, the prodigal comes home. We get to become the answer to someone's prayer. Uh, we get to be part of seeing someone come home. It's awesome.
We are expanding because at the end of the day, this is about seeing more people have an opportunity to come to meet Jesus. I mean, there are times where we are packed out. We don't have any more room. Some of the, the primary times of our services, there's just no room, no parking, no room. Many of us have been touched by our experience with the Lord here, and we want to make it possible for other people to have that same experience. And it's going to require us breaking out of these walls, this particular location. If you think about it, these doors that are even now open, they really do connect with the whole idea is that we don't want to just keep it inside. We want to get it outside. We want to create more access points. And this is a big part of it. We're being committed to the very core essential things that God has called us to as a people. Every generation has an opportunity People are going to be affected if we're willing to embrace the same kind of faith and commitment and, and courageous risk-taking that characterized the generation that went before us. It's about expanding his reach. It's about touching other people. It's about trying to be uh, open to having courage to step out and to risk what is easy to try to, to move forward so that other people can have a blessing too. And I think uh, many of you have inside of your hand and already noticed the, uh, the project itself. We're calling it Isaiah 542 Projects. Many people are referring to it as the, the 542 Project. That has to do with Isaiah 54.2. In Isaiah 54.2, it talks about expanding the length of your tents. And so the very imagery itself has to do with the tent and the idea of going is a very, um, I guess, picturesque way, an iconic way of being able to think about what we're being asked to do. And, and we wanted to give everybody uh, an opportunity to sort of just process the details of what's happening. And we don't, the, the launch itself, the new site will be starting on January 29, 2012, make a note of that. But at the same time, um, we've got a number of months to prepare. This is essentially the kickoff for that. And uh, we, we, um, we also are going to be having a couple of other things we want you to take note of. One of them has to do with this, uh, this commitment card. Now, we're not going to be trying to pressure anybody to do anything beyond respond to God. However, I think it's worth noting, because what's happened is we've already secured a site on the west side of the city. It's by Lake Merced near San Francisco State, Brotherhood Way. We've entered into an agreement. We've already begun the process of preparing the building itself. We're going to be having a second campus. That second campus is going to be going on simultaneously with this campus. It's going to be one church, two campuses. That's our approach. And it's going to require, and it already has required, a lot of people catching the vision and making a commitment to help us pioneer that, that particular launch and volunteer for it and really throw their heart into it at an entrepreneurial level and just commit to the foundation of what's happening there as we seek to expand what God is doing. And again, Part of it has to do with the idea that we're still going to be committed to the four services here at the mission site, but we're also going to be launching that fifth service at the Merced campus. And what that means is not only are there going to be a lot of opportunities to serve in ways that there haven't been before at the new site, there's also going to be a tremendous need in our mission campus as well, because many who have been serving here are going to be launching out over there, and they're going to create all kinds of needs that are legitimate needs 
and we're asking people to reflect and to consider whether or not God might be saying, and it may have been someone who's served before and hasn't been serving for a while, or someone who's brand new, fairly new, but wants to get more connected, more involved. This is the time to do it. We need everybody to really prayerfully consider stepping forward. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that towards the end of the service, but I wanted to mention that. Also, you'll notice on the back side of the FAQ, uh, there's a very quick four-step piece there about how I can get involved. Take note of that. And then, of course, if you have, if you're a person who maybe is sort of, you, you have more questions and uh, you like to be able to talk things out a little bit more and hear some more details, next week, you'll notice in the red column there, we have a, what we're calling a, a, a town hall uh, just meeting at 1.30 after the 12 o'clock service. And that town hall gathering is just an, a gathering where we're going to have the leaders of the campus site itself, as well as the worship leader. Uh, many of you noted that Lee Kabuhat was leading uh, worship this morning. He's going to be the primary worship leader at the New Merced site as well. And so we're going to be introducing him, t the team, uh, Pastor Murphy, and the rest of the pastoral team as well. We'll, we'll be able to talk a little bit more in depth about what we're doing, why we're doing it, answer some more questions specifically. Obviously, the Isaiah 542 project is going to be a big part of our church um, it's going to be a big part of our narrative, our discussion. Uh, it's, it's a statement about our, our willingness to, to push out beyond our comfort zone. And we need your prayers. We need your support. We need your commitment. We need everybody to rally together and step up if you can and respond to the invitation. And I'm hoping it will be a great adventure. I believe it will be. It already has been a great adventure that we're going to take together. And um, again, I just don't know if we ever really lose when we're trying to honor what the Lord is asking us to do. And we really believe that's what God's wanting us to do. So note that, keep it in mind. You also are probably aware that this is the kickoff for our fall series. And uh, not so coincidentally, we're, we're calling it How to Build a Life. And so you're going to note already the themes everywhere have to do with building. It has to do with the idea of enlargement. Um, we're going to be focusing on the whole idea of building a wall. We're gonna, I'm going to talk a bit more about that in a moment, but specifically we're going to talk about a man who was given a vision to build a wall that was going to protect the people and produce generational blessing. That man's name was Nehemiah. And we're going to sort of parallel his story in the Older Testament with also, I think, what is a very real desire for God to see in us something of, of an integrity and a building as well. So I'm going to pray. We're going to just look at some scripture together. We've got a little kind of unusual ending to the service, a little bit different than normal. Normally we end with a song that we close with that's thematically connected to the message. We actually have a small video piece that we want to show. Uh, I think it, it, will, it will touch you as well, touch all of us really, and it will be a kind of conclusion, a different way of ending our time together. But let me go ahead and pray. Lord, I want to thank you already in advance for this amazing weekend that we've already experienced. And I know it's unique for a variety of reasons, not the least of which that at a national level, uh, many are noting the significance of this day and um, what it means for us as a, as a nation and, and the, the pain that we endured. But not just that, but the, the amazing way in which the, the nation rallied together and in a spirit of brotherly love and, and, and really sacrificial love that we saw in extraordinarily ways demonstrated. As you said, greater love hath no man than a man laid down his life for his friend. And, and we saw some of that, Lord, and we, we, we acknowledge that at the same time, we're acknowledging that this is a special time for us as a people as well. And that you are calling us, many of us, to, to move forward in new ways. And my prayer is that not only would we experience something as a community that would enlarge us and encourage us and, and remind us of who you are, but that at an individual, very personal level, 
many of us would be challenged and um, touched as well to strengthen the foundations of our lives and to build a greater degree of security in the way that we construct our lives, spe specifically with you. And um, I ask for your grace to fill this house. Bless this short time of sharing your word. May it be life-giving in its own right. This is what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, God. All right, um, if I can turn your attention to your handouts, uh, where you'll notice that 1 Corinthians is noted in, in there, or if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or if you have an electronic device that has the scripture on it, I will trust you to focus as much as possible on the text itself. But I'm realizing that's more and more um, of the way it's going these days, people putting their Bible on their phones. And I guess that's okay. It takes some notes, too, if you want to. And note what God says to you so you can revisit it. I think it's important to do that. It's been a, huge, uh, a hugely significant aspect of my own Christian journey since I was a young, young man to try to really pay deep attention to what God might want to say to me as the word and the message is being shared and then to think it through, to pray on it, reflect on it. Anyway, let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, verses 9 through 11. The Apostle Paul is writing, and again, he's, he's, he's really establishing this theme of building. Building's going to be everywhere in our discussions in the coming weeks. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field. And it's the Apostle Paul now that uses the analogy of a building for our lives. Look what he says. You are God's building. And then he says this, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. And there's another who builds on it. Key phrase here, you guys, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Every one of us needs to think about what we're building. What is our construction? What is the integrity, the strength of what is being built? For no other foundation, the apostle says, can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And so again, this idea of building well, is something that I'm hoping we will start to think about. How am I building, constructing my life? Um, what is the foundation that I am building on? Is it capable of being sustained when the storms of life hit? You know, there's been a lot of documentaries building up for 9-11. I've had an opportunity to watch a number of them. Many of them have been inspiring, in some cases very emotional. It's, uh, some things are difficult to actually look at again. But one of the things that I've most enjoyed has been watching, and I mean this, has been watching some of the documentaries that have been connected to what's actually happening on the, on the, at the World Trade Center site right now. And it's pretty astonishing, the vision they have. You know, 10 years in, um, they've got an amazing plan for what they're going to be building. And some of those buildings are already in process. In fact, the hardest part, you could argue, has already been done. Why? And some of them, by the way, are going to just be artistically amazing. They're using cutting-edge technology. Those buildings are going to be built like no other, other buildings um, have ever been built. They're, they're extraordinary. It's an extraordinary vision. It's very artistic. It's compelling. It's, but one of the things I noted was that they were spending a lot of time talking about the unique foundations that were being built. And uh, it, it occurred to me, again, just kind of thinking about all the things that are going on, the whole idea of us trying to expand beyond our building, the whole idea of God wanting to build something in us, the, the, the story that we're going to be looking at of Nehemiah building a wall for the protection of Jerusalem, we're going to talk about in a moment. It dawned on me that the very principles themselves, that the idea of having integrity in a building is, is connected to its foundation. When we say integrity, we mean its, its capacity to hold, to sustain, its wholeness. Its ability. We say that, that somebody has integrity, there's a, a degree of wholeness and stability and strength. That, that, that chair has a degree of integrity because it can hold our weight, right? And so um, we're going we're gonna to talk about what it means to build something with God that, that lasts. And for some of us, it's going to be a season of tremendous growth. 
we really are going to think more clearly about what, what we're actually building in terms of our relationship with the Lord. I'm really excited about that. Um, you'll notice, though, that, it, that a big part of what we're going to be doing, though, in the weeks ahead is focusing on a particular book, again, that I've already alluded to out of the Older Testament. That book is Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an amazing book. It really is about the life, for the most part, it's about an account of a particular season in the life of a man whose name is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an official in the court of a Persian king. He was a Jewish man who had been um, given this unique job that allowed him unusual access to power. Uh, although it was not his, the land of his forefathers, he, he had been displaced, as it were, or at least it appears that he had been born in captivity but had risen to a place of great prominence. Uh, Nehemiah's story is stunning because it ha has everything to do with building. Now, it, it, at its core, it's about building a wall. Now, some of us might go, well, that doesn't seem that interesting, building a wall. You understand. In fact, when we use the idea of somebody put up a wall, we often think, oh, well, that's kind of negative because we say, oh, that person's putting up a kind of a barrier relationally. They're not allowing me access. We're not being vulnerable with one another. We've put up walls maybe to defend ourselves. But in the ancient times, especially, walls were important. Because, and if you think about it, they're still important now. They provide strength to structures. They provide us safety from the elements. They provide us safe uh, private places as well. Walls have a number of, they have a value even now in a positive context. But in the ancient world, it was even more significant. Why? Again, we can't relate to this as much. Our, our cities don't have walls around them. But in their days, in fact, when you see ruins, um, oftentimes in the ancient cities, especially, you can still go back into Palestine and see it now. I mean, it's amazing. You'll see, the, the walls were such an important part of the safety of a city, not just because of wild animals that it protected the citizens from, but because there were constantly raiders and um, you know, different invading armies and plunderers who would come through. And a city that had no walls was completely vulnerable. And I hope we can see that there's an analogy there for us at a spiritual level as well that God wants to teach us how to live a safe and, and uh, a life that is secure in him. And in the ancient world, in Jerusalem in particular, uh, Nehemiah is going to be dealing with the fact that, that his city, his beloved city, the city of his ancestors, the capital city of his people, um, at the time of his writing and what happens in his life is connected to the fact that his city no longer had a wall and that around it to protect it. In fact, at Nehemiah's time, the condition of the city was, was stunningly bad. Uh, look with me, if you can, at Nehemiah 1. It says this, that he writes this word in verse number 1. We're going to move to this. He says, these are the memoirs of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the late autumn in the month of Kislev. Now, Kislev would, it corresponds to half of our month of November and half of our month of December. So it's kind of November, December in their calendar. In our calendar, it would correspond to November, December. He says, in the 20th year of King Artaxes, um, who was the, the king of Persia, which is modern-day Iran. I was at the fortress of Susa. Susa was a key city in the Persian Empire. And uh, in fact, I'll put, we'll put up a map for you real quick to just kind of give everybody a kind of context geographically for what we're talking about. If they can do that, that'd be great. Maybe they'll get it up there soon. Is it up there? There it is, yes. All right. Um, you can see Jerusalem in relation to Susa. You can see the Persian Gulf. Even today, all of this region is, is the centerpiece of so much of what's happening in the world. Um, the, we know that the, it, what had happened was that uh, the citizens of Jerusalem, okay, but I'm going to have to, let me, let me set this up real quick. I know not everybody loves history, um, but it's impossible to appreciate what we're about to look at without at least putting it into some historical context. The fact is that Jerusalem had reached, many of us have heard of David, King David, King Solomon. 
Israel at the time, um, uh, if their leadership had reached their apex, David was an amazing king, but his king, the kingdom of Israel, Israel as a nation reached its apex under the reign of his son, King Solomon, who was noted for his wisdom. People, he, in fact, in many ways, it was the one time in the history of their people that, that they had become the focal point of, of the Middle East it, in terms of people acknowledging the stunning um, blessing of wealth and prosperity and the wisdom of Solomon. It was an amazing time in the history of Israel. But what happened after that, for a variety of reasons, not the least of which includes there was kind of a spiritual crisis that occurred in the nation. But what eventually occurred was they had a civil war after Solomon's reign. Not unlike our own nation, it was a war between the north and the south. They each decided to call themselves their own kingdoms. The northern kingdom adopted the larger name Israel. The southern kingdom, which includes Jerusalem, they took the name of Judea, the idea of Judah. So you had the northern kingdom Israel and the southern kingdom Judah. They would at times fight each other as history went on, but over time they became susceptible to the overarching movements of, of empires. And we know that the northern kingdom um, Israel fell when it was overtaken by the Assyrians. Um, decades later, however, Judah is also swept up as there's this first truly great kingdom that emerges. And in fact, it becomes one of a sequential four that occurs in the ancient world. The first one being Babylon. The second one being the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Babylon, interesting, modern day uh, Iraq, um, you know, media Persia, Persia, Iran. That was the second great empire. The empire that ends up following that one, many of us will recognize Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And then, of course, the greatest of them all, the one that swept over the known world at the time of Jesus, it was still there, the Roman Empire. And you had these successive empires that dominated this region. At the time, Jerusalem was, was being taken by this emerging power, Babylon, who had this, this great king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had demanded that the city of Jerusalem in particular submit to his governance and the governance of the empire. They did, but over time they rebelled. The sec after uh, their rebellion the, the second time, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had had it and he decided to completely obliterate the city. And what he did was Solomon, who had built this stunning and amazing temple that was the envy of many in the world and held, was held in awe, um, they came, the Babylonian uh, army came in and they, they completely leveled the beautiful temple of Solomon that had been built. This amazing architectural structure was devastatingly demolished. And then they didn't stop there though. They went around and they, they stripped the city of its walls and they put all those walls that had been built for the protection of the city, they made them rubble. And then they burnt the gates on top of it. The city was left with, and then they didn't stop there. They took the population and they forcibly relocated a vast majority of it back to Babylon to essentially function as slaves. And then they kept the most elite of the young people who were the highly trained ones, and they brought them into the courts of Babylon to be trained in Babylonian ways. In fact, when you read the book of Daniel, that's what's going on there. He's one of those ones that has been placed in a position of prominence to be trained in the ways of Babylon. But Israel and the Jewish people did not forget their identity. And God had made a promise to them that they were going to, after their time of captivity, be allowed to return back to their homeland. And so they never lost that hope. And sure enough, in the 69th year of their captivity, there was another power that emerged to take Babylon's place. And that power, again, I alluded to it, was the Medes and the Persians. And they overwhelmed Babylon. 
And under the, the reign of a man named Cyrus, Israel was given the opportunity to have 50,000 of, the, of, their of their people return back to the city of Jerusalem. And so Cyrus blesses them in the 70th year and allows them to return. But when they return, they're returning to not a great city, but a city that is completely in a mess. It, it has no temple. It has no walls. It's just completely uh, destroyed. It's got growth growing up everywhere. There are a few people scattered around the city. I mean, it's just a shadow. It's a mess. For the, they, they commit themselves to doing one thing, these returning exiles. They make a decision that they're going to build at least one thing. You know what they build? They decide we're going to build a temple to honor God who allowed us to return. And there's a tremendous amount of momentum that occurs, and they get it built. It's nothing compared to what was, the great glory of Solomon's temple, but at least it was something. And that is a serves as a backdrop. But then after a while, after about those first 20 years, the momentum of the return has sort of stopped. And that is this sets up the discussion that occurs between Nehemiah and his brother Hanani, who is returning with a group of men from Jerusalem to Susa, where we had showed you on the map, and he has this discussion that is going to radically alter Nehemiah's life. And this is what it, how it begins. Look with me at verse number two. It says this, that Hanani, one of my brothers, he came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. Remember, we just talked about that. And you know what I did? And he just starts out with an innocuous conversation that basically says, tell me how things are back in the homeland. Because for Nehemiah, his home has been here in, in Persia. And he says, how are things going with those who went home? How are things going in the old country? And it's in that moment, that question was asked. In that moment, everything changes. Because Hanani says this to him. He says, um, I asked him about those who had resumed after the captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. And he said this to me. He says, you know what you want to know? Do you really want to know the answer to that question? Because I'll be honest with you, things are awful. Uh, it's not going well at all for those who returned. Our people who made a decision to return back and, and reestablish that city, our city, our great city of our ancestors, it is not going well at all for them. In fact, he says this, they're in, you want to know it? They're actually in tremendous trouble. Um, they have no walls. They're completely vulnerable to the others who are around them. They, they are being, at some level, oppressed. Um, they have no sense of real security. In fact, Nehemiah, to be honest with you, is an absolute disgrace. It's a shame. You would be ashamed of, of our people and what's happening there. It's so bad. Um, they, have, they have no money. They have no leadership. Uh, it's, just, it's just awful. And it's something about what was shared there. It says here that um, when Nehemiah hears this, it's like um, when he hears about how, he says, look, that if, you, if you were to go there, Hananiah says, you would, know, you would realize that the, uh, the, you know, Jerusalem's really still leveled. It's been torn down. The gates, they, remember, they were destroyed by fire. They haven't been rebuilt. They rebuilt the temple, but they haven't been able to rebuild anything else, and it's just a mess there. And as Nehemiah is processing this news, because he had just asked the question, it says that it, it hit him. It hit him. It's like when you have a conversation about somebody you care about, and then someone tells you, well, if you really want to know, I'll tell you, it's just not going well at all. It's bad. And Nehemiah, who's got a great job, I might add, and we're going to see what that job was in the coming weeks, talk about it a little bit. He's got this great position. His life is set. He, he's doing fine where he's at. But he hears this report, and it bothers him. It says that I, I sat down. And you can see it in verse 4. He says, and when I heard this, 
All of a sudden, he says, I, I, it, it broke my heart. He says, when I sat down, I, 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 sat, I heard this. I sat down, and I just started weeping. I started weeping. I started weeping for my people. And that's the picture of Nehemiah. Who's, who's, he says, in fact, I couldn't even eat. I started fasting. I started mourning. I mourned for days. I couldn't get it out of me. It just kept, it just kept gnawing at me. That this is what's happened to my people, and I'm here. And I can't. It's like he couldn't get it. Now, let me just kind of put this on the board real quick. Because, again, I want to sort of set this in motion, just looking at what Nehemiah is talking about. So, you, by the way, that burden, hear me, that burden will stir in Nehemiah to such a degree that he makes a life shift. And he makes a decision, as we're going to see, what's going to be the result of his praying to God is going to be, Lord, I think you want me to do something here. And the more he cultivates that pain that he's feeling on behalf of his people, the more, how you say this, the less and less comfortable he is with his own situation. And he decides that something has to be done. And perhaps God wants him to do it. And it sets in motion this entire account. Now, for us, let me suggest something. Blending Nehemiah with where we're going as a people, as a community, and just sort of making some very quick, rapid um, just applications. Let me suggest that as we move into this season, these next three months for sure, as we talk about Nehemiah's account in our own life with God, and certainly as we prepare as a people to expand our borders and build something for God, as it were, that as we think about this, let's consider the possibility that God would want to do something new in and through us. That the irony of what's going to happen here, and maybe it's not an irony, maybe it's just part of the unique blessing of it, but that God is not only going to build something simultaneously through Nehemiah's efforts as a wall, as the goal will be to build a wall around the city of Jerusalem to allow it to sustain itself safely and allow for blessing to compound. But he's also, God is also going to do something, as we're going to see it, inside of Nehemiah. And oftentimes, the, the action of, it's not the product of what God's asking us to do that is the only issue. It's what God is asking us to do, yes, but it's also what happens inside of us as you and I step into a responsive place. That frequently the blessing that is really occurring is not just the outcome of our service, but what happens when we decide we are going to serve God in some way. There's something of a transformation and a growth and a maturity and an expansion of our own heart that occurs. And it's something about trusting God in new ways. It's shaking things up. It's getting breakthrough at levels that we hadn't had before. It's beginning to walk with a degree of courage and sacrifice that often is what Christ really is desiring for us anyway. And it produces a blessing as we join with others. I'm just saying, that was, that's, it is very possible that as God is doing something through us, that he also wants to do something in us. Secondly, though, there's also possibility that in this unique season of our church life, and in this unique time in which we are exploring what it means to build a life through the story of Nehemiah, that God also might be wanting to send a word to us that is uniquely ours. I point that out because I know in my own life that there have been times where, almost when I was just a young follower of Jesus, I was listening to some people talk about the Lord, and, or I was reading something, and it deeply impacted me, whether it was in the scripture or hearing a message that was shared. Something about it caught my heart. Not, and it really affected me. And it, it, it could, it didn't, it's like it doesn't let you go. And you get, it's what sometimes in church vernacular is called a burden. 
And all of a sudden, it's like, I, I, it's just with me. I think about it. I get up. I, when I pray, I, it's on my mind. I, even when I I'm get away, I come back to it. It's like God is kind of speaking. And you know what? That's kind of what happens here with Nehemiah. He, his brother, Hanani, comes to him and just tells him what happens. But because, after he hears it, he's not the same guy. It's, it's almost like that word changes everything about how he's living. And he's not going to be the same guy that he was prior to that conversation. It is possible that God has something to say to us that is very unique for us, that is going to call us into a place of responsiveness, that is really going to create something new inside of our heart with him. And I want us to, so what I'm going to say is, along the way, listen for God's word for you, perhaps even your family, maybe even your business. Listen for his word that is within the words that we share. Say, God, I am open to hearing you. Speak to me. Thirdly, finally, may the Lord, it's also possible that the Lord may use us to be a torch or kind of like a, to help be, hold a torch to light someone else's heart. So what are you talking about? Okay, Nehemiah, by the time we're done, we're going to watch an amazing thing happen. We're going to watch how he helps a people build strength into their life. And he's going to bring people together that were divided. And they're going to see an amazing thing come in spite of tremendous opposition and resistance. And by the way, I hope we understand that anytime we're trying to move forward with God, we're going to experience resistance. Anytime we're really trying to lay a good foundation, we're going to experience some difficulty. That just goes with the turf. But when it's done, and if we can stick with it, God will do an amazing thing. And we'll look back and we'll go, wow, that has been an amazing time in my life when God showed up in a way that I... I, I hadn't had too many of those times in my, that is a special season for me. I remember that. You know how, but interesting, we're going to come back at the end and we're going to say, man, God used Nehemiah, but guess what? We're going to marvel at what he did. There is no Nehemiah doing anything for God if there wasn't first an honest telling by a brother whose name was Hanani, who we don't know much about, never hear much more about him again, but it all starts because Hanani is willing to give an honest telling of what was really happening. And in his telling, he ignites something in the heart of another man that ultimately produces a blessing that goes into so many directions. Do you see what I'm saying? We ought not to underestimate small contributions, small conversations. I'm gonna call them divine conversations and divine assignments. Who can say all the good that comes when we're just willing to be open to talking about the Lord? We spent an entire summer talking about that and now we're gonna see it again. It shows up. Nehemiah is altered because somebody was willing to talk and tell him, how many of us have had our lives impacted because someone else was willing to represent the heart of Jesus to us? I don't, I don't think there's not one, one person who ever comes to know the Lord that did it completely on their own. Even that was a product of prayer, someone else's telling. I can't say, if we could see a picture, and there's no way to see it, but if there was some way in which we could see all the different strings that are attached to who told who, who told who, who made a decision to follow God, how that decision played itself out, affected someone's life, who affected someone else, who ultimately down the line shared something with a person who taught us about Jesus. I'm telling you, it's all, there's so many intricacies. And we become part of that whole fabric, that, that I'm going to use this word, cosmic tapestry 
that, that amazing tapestry that spans time, that connects people to Jesus, and decisions that were made by people we'll never know. For everybody we know who affected us for the Lord, there are many, many people who we'll never know, whose prayers went up, who generations past connected with someone, who connected with someone. I'm telling you, it's an amazing story. We only see a very small piece of it, but guess what? We get invited to be part of it. And we do not know how what our honest telling or our simple invitation, and we're going to see this in a moment, is going to radically alter somebody's life for Jesus. I mean, really, really alter their life. And when that life is altered, a lot of other people get affected. You know, the same in the, in the bad way, when certain things, decisions are made by people, and they usually do not occur in a vacuum, but affect others. Many of us have been affected by decisions that were made by other people. And we've had to deal with a lot of the, the, the damage that occurred as a result of those decisions. And, but the other side is true as well. There are a lot of times when people make courageous decisions, decisions to hold the line, decisions to be faithful and committed in love in those places, or just to talk about the Lord in authentic, meaningful ways. And when those things happen, blessing also gets sent. And when, when someone's life comes to the Lord, it changes things in remarkable ways. And oftentimes what has been a, a generational baton of dysfunction turns into a generational baton of new beginning and new life. And all of a sudden, people are being affected in ways that are, are astonishingly filled with grace. And it's not about being perfect, but getting better and whole and growing and working on You see what I'm talking about? This is everything that we're talking about this fall. It's everything that we're committed to doing as a people. Now, I mentioned to you that we're going to end the service differently, and we're about to share that. After our time of giving, and there is going to be um, obviously, in the, in the weeks ahead, an opportunity for all of us to be able to participate in, in giving to the project, and you're certainly welcome to do that. But that really wasn't the point of as much of this particular um, time for us. We really wanted everybody to think about the commitment card and to consider prayerfully. And, and we realize that some, some of us are going to have to process this out and decide, you know, hey, I, I, let, me, let me pray about it some more. Um, and we've got this online too. But for some of us, there's no, we already know. We already heard God. We feel like God's already speaking to us about stepping up in some way in the months ahead. And we want to do that. We want to step out. We've got some, some sort of uh, booths set up. You'll see some stations. Some are outside. You can ask some questions if you want to. You can turn the cards to the Connection Center or the stations that are on your way out. Anything, if you already feel in your heart that God's already spoken to you, take the time at the end of the service and just kind of check that in and turn it in. We need to know how many people are already willing to help us Please consider that. We're in this together. So we're going to close with our offering time. We're going to show the, the video, and then I'll just come right back up, finish the service out, and close it together. Let's pray together, though, right now. Lord, I want to thank you for this time that we've already been able to share. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just so grateful at so many different levels, Lord. I love the way that you stretch us. I pray that many of us would see the amazing thing that you do when you use people to touch other people for you. None of us are self-made, not a one of us. Every one of us are a product of someone else's sacrificial love, someone's sacrificial telling, someone's courageous telling, someone's courageous choice, someone's prayer that was uttered up generations ago. How many, for every person we've seen, there are, there are hundreds we'll never know about. And we are part of that ongoing story of the way of Jesus. And I pray that we would take it seriously, that we would really honor it, Lord. And sometimes you call us into seasons where you ask us to step forward and sacrifice and to step up and serve. And, and I just pray that you, we would all share in this adventure as much as possible. I really do. I know that it's not just what you want to work through us, but what you want to work in us as well. And so I ask for your blessing. Bless our time of giving. Bless this closing minutes 
at these closing minutes as we share them together and celebrate your goodness and these very recent things that you have done for us, the stories that are all around us, the miracles that are happening. Really, they are in their own way, little miracles. I ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. When I walked through these doors about four and a half years ago, I wasn't even aware of the impact it was going to have on me, but it was significant, and I'm very grateful for what God's done in my life. You know, I felt like I was no longer walking alone. I could feel like someone was carrying me, you know, an extra strength that I never had experienced before. We see that the Lord really is with us. When I was 16 in my junior year, I was invited by a couple of friends to attend Cornerstone and, and there was sort of a hole inside of me that needed to be filled and I, I think that's where I found it. I am the first Christian in this family and who knows what the future is going to hold. You know, God can work miracles and I'm just gonna have faith in that. I was really hurt so much, I wanted to commit suicide. But then everything changed at summer camp. And Jesus told me he will always be with me to the very end. Yeah, at times you, you could feel discouraged when you, no one showed up. <laughs> you know, God encouraged us and helped us. Anytime you're in the work of the Lord, it's worth it. To be able to share this time where I'm being baptized is even more special because I get to do it with you, the ones that I love, who God has shown me love through. And with this life, I choose, choose to serve Him, and I choose to serve you. Being at Cornerstone that Christmas Eve, it felt like the sun was shining in my heart that had been dark for so long. I had felt like I had been taken apart, and since then I feel like he's been putting me back together. I really struggled with the church and I wandered away, and I wandered so far, but God never gave up on me, and God followed me, and He pursued me, and He brought me back. I've always loved the city, but I never felt at home and never felt like I had roots here until I found community at Cornerstone. You have family every Sunday when you walk in the door. That guilt I was talking about, that I'm not good enough to leave. I've always had, I'm ready to leave it behind. To give it all to the Lord our God, through, this, through His Son, Jesus Christ, I have already been forgiven. It's not so much a sacrifice as a love, a love of working with the Lord. You don't think about the, the years of, of struggle and small crowds and paying off a building. Don't think of that. You think about what God is doing right now. Yeah.
know, I grew up here in the Mission District. I was a gang member, gang banging around, you know, 24th Street. And when my life was just messed up, I remembered that there was a God that loved me. And I cried out to him. And he changed my life. Thank you, God. So, Lord, you know, we are, we are so uh, grateful, and um, we get to, we're, we're, we're humbled. It's our privilege to be part of what you're doing here in this city, and we pray for more lives to be touched, God. That's what you're doing. You're touching a lot of people's lives, and um, every now and then, it's good for us to pause and just see and think about what's actually happening, um, what you're actually doing. And we get to decide how much, of, how much of a part of that we're gonna be. The need is now, time is now, courage required, love in our hearts to be inspired. We ask for these things in Jesus' name, amen. So as we go our separate ways, if some of you feel it in your heart to even do that now, take some time to think about it, but otherwise, the connection card, it's there, the commitment card is there but you're blessed. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We got great, a great adventure ahead of us in Jesus' name. All right, Lord bless you all.